Hey guys, I thought I'd start with a bit of a different intro for this podcast and introduce who I am a little more first. So my name is Terry Ibell. When I was 14 years old, I started making stop motion animations in my bedroom using my grandpa's old camera. And with these animations, I went on to win the local high school film competition for three years in a row. However, when I graduated high school, I got super freaked out by pursuing a career in animation. So instead, I went to business school and graduated with a BBA. For about the next seven years, I worked as a market analyst and a content manager and SEO specialist. However, I just couldn't escape animation. And all that time, I was doing creative projects on the side. I was waking up at like 5 a.m. every day to draw and paint and sculpt and write and do short films and comics and anything I could as an outlet. But after all that time, I realized I don't want animation to just be an outlet for me. It's something I want to do with my life. So I finally taken the steps to get into the industry. I quit my job and I started going to Sheridan College last year. I also began to search for a podcast that would really dig deep into what it takes to become successful in the animation industry. And I couldn't really find one. So I just decided to create one myself. And now this is it. Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Here, you're going to hear from some of the biggest names in animation who really dig deep into their journey to finding success. They share their best practices, the hardships they went through, and what to focus on to make it in today's changing animation world. And it's my hope that by sharing this info that you too have the best chance of success. So let's begin. Today, we're talking about the ins and outs of being a storyboard artist with Dodge Greenlee. Dodge started his career at Nickelodeon as a production intern working on SpongeBob SquarePants, where it wasn't long before he quickly rose to the ranks of storyboard artists on shows like Sanjay and Craig and Pinky Malinky, and now he's working at Cartoon Network on their next big hit. And besides being a super rad storyboard artist, Dodge is quite popular on Instagram, where he publishes absolutely ridiculous comics. And in fact, that's actually how I discovered his work. So Dodge, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So let's start things off. Uh, what interested you in getting into the animation industry in the first place? Um, I like always drew when I was a kid, uh, like just always drawing. And I really, I always said that I wanted to be a cartoonist, which I, like now I don't know what that even means. But as a kid, it's like, I want to draw and make funny things. But I didn't think that I could do it. Like I thought it, like, I didn't think that people actually did it. It was like, that's cool that, you know, Bill Watterson is a person, but I can't do it. So I went to a liberal arts school, um, which is just like a academic, like studying for studying's sake. Um, and it wasn't until like my senior year that I was like, oh, I've wanted to work in animation basically this whole time. So I should study, I should do that. Um, and the, the kind of big impetus for me it was actually Toy Story 3 that like I saw it between my junior and senior year of college and it was just like it was just the most like I've always wanted to do this thing I'm watching this movie I want I, I want to be a part of this like I see there's obviously like somebody who's like doing the lighting and somebody who's doing the animating and somebody who's doing the writing that there's like you can see in the Pixar movies that there's like just hundreds of people that all contribute. And it's like, I want to be in that community. Um, so then like, basically I, I graduated college and like moved out to LA and didn't know anything about animation and figured it out from there. 
well how did well how did you figure it out so you didn't know anything about animation and then suddenly you're the storyboard artist <laughs> well, there's got to be something in between not, there it was not you moved to la and then what uh so i moved to la i worked at a doggy daycare uh and i applied to like every job in animation every like entry-level job in animation i could find like every internship um i eventually got an internship at nickelodeon which itself like i remember because I was like in LA, like listening to a bunch of podcasts of like, how did people do this? And I remember people would always be like, yeah, I moved to LA and then I like worked a, a shitty, terrible job for a long time. And then I got this break and now like that led to this. And it's like, wait, how did you get that thing? Um, and like, so I applied to the internship online and I actually later found out when I was working at Nickelodeon that my resume like got weeded out like in the first round. Um, but I, I mean, it, it really is this convoluted that, so my, my sister's college roommate, uh, his cousin had a friend that worked at Nickelodeon. So like I was just talking to every person in LA that I had any sort of personal connection with and I would get coffee with them or talk to them or something and almost all of them were dead ends you know like you talk to most people and they're just like yeah I mean you're great I would hire you but like I'm don't I can't hire people like if anybody hits me up and is like cool like I'll show you my art or whatever and it's like great you have cool art I'm a storyboard artist like I don't have anything to do with hiring people um but it so most of them were a dead end and that one like my resume got into the right hands and I got an interview and I guess interviewed well and got the internship at Nickelodeon. Wait, so so your your original application got like trashed, but through yeah. your sister's college roommate's cousin's friend? Yeah. Somehow you made a connection with them and then you put the resume in their hands and they're like, You're hired. Yeah, so so that person was a producer on SpongeBob. So basically, my resume, instead of going through the whole internal process at Nickelodeon, which, like I said, like like I found out it got weeded out in the internal process of like the 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 regular thing of like they get a thousand resumes, and they basically have interns at Nickelodeon just like look at resumes and make semi-arbitrary decisions throwing things out a lot of it is like if they've heard of the school like the, every everybody when you're 22 every single resume looks exactly the same it's like cool you got good grades you made things they're all the same and so it's like oh i haven't heard of this school gone and i went to this tiny school in iowa that nobody's ever heard of that isn't an art school and like at nickelodeon there's probably like five schools are the primary schools that they recruit from do you know what those are um this is nickelodeon it's probably different at different places but it's like um a lot of it is stuff in california so it's like cal state fullerton has an animation program um san jose state in california has an animation program cal arts is obviously like a very famous one um uh, like Loyola Marymount, USC, UCLA, like literally schools in LA and in California. Um, Sheridan is actually one because I know a, a handful of people from Sheridan. Um, side note, of almost all the people that I know 
anybody who talks about their college, they're always like, I didn't learn anything. And I feel like the people that went to Sheridan are the ones that are like, no, I actually learned a lot in school. So I think you made the right choice. Um, so with your application, did you not have to put together like a portfolio too to show off all your, your art and stuff? Or it's just a, a resume? Like what was on your resume that was so impressive or did they even... Something was on my resume. It was literally just like somebody was like, this is like a nice, smart guy. Okay. Um, and like a personal recommendation saying this is a nice, smart guy is is everything because your your portfolio for a production internship doesn't really matter because they're like you don't do any art in basically any internships at least at the major studios if you're doing art as an intern you're at a small studio and you're probably being taken advantage of in some way um right so what do you actually do as a, a well specifically a production intern at nickelodeon um, you're basically like the production assistant's assistant. So, uh, the production staff is doing basically everything that's in between art. So it's like keeping track of schedules, moving materials from one step to the next step. So like, if I finish a storyboard, I'm going to hand it off to the production assistant and then they're going to prep the storyboard to go into animatic. And so that might be um, as simple as like exporting JPEG files to put into um, like Premiere for editing or something. Um, and then like that work is just compounded by you're working on eight episodes at once. So there's a bunch of like little administrative tasks that go throughout the day. So the intern is uh, like handed off all of the extra little side work of helping schedules, sending out emails, uh, like I said, handing off documents from one person to another. I was working on SpongeBob and they, um, they have a lot of like old hard copies of stuff like pencil drawings and like um, uh, paintings. It's crazy because like, it doesn't feel like I was an intern that long ago, it was six years ago, but there's, even that like transition, there was a lot more like practical, uh, traditional medium stuff in animation than there is now. Like there was, they were still storyboarding digitally, but they had started on SpongeBob, they had started storyboarding digitally like maybe a year before that. And mm -hmm. now, now basically all storyboarding is done digitally and like all design is done digitally and stuff like that. There's very few shows that like, and so what I was doing would like be taking old pencils and like scanning them in and photocopying them. And like, like I, I spent a ton of time at a photocopier, you know, it's very like quintessential, like boring intern work. So, okay. So you said like all the major studios, their interns don't work on any art yet. That's like an intern's dream, right? So how did you... Yeah make the leap from sitting at the photocopier to sitting at the Cintiq and, and doing storyboarding. Like uh, production assistant doesn't, intern doesn't exactly sound like the path to become a storyboard artist, you know? Yeah. So part of it is that if you're 22 or 23, if you're like straight out of school, you're probably a pretty shitty artist. Like there's a handful of people that come out like straight out of school and are actually like ready for professional work. Um, and it's, it's like 
super rare and it feels like i don't know to me it feels like when i see somebody like that it's like whoa that person's gonna do this but at least at least for me my art was terrible like i said like i didn't go to an art school i mostly like drew in my free time um and like did it as like a not even like a hobby like a neurotic habit um and so working as a PA allowed me to, basically I worked with storyboards every day. I saw storyboards every day. So I learned a ton about storyboards just from osmosis. And then I would, um, my friend was, I mean, I was friends with the people on the crew. So one of my friends was a revisionist. And when she would leave, uh, when she didn't have to like stay late to hit a deadline, I would like use her Cintiq and like practice storyboarding at night. Uh, and then I would show my boards to board artists um, and get critiques and like work and work and like like redo it. I did a lot of like storyboard testing um, to practice storyboarding. Um, so it really was practicing in my free time, but it helped a lot working in production just because I was around animation. So I learned a lot from it, I like just how to do it. And then also like, I mean, it helped a ton that, so I was a production assistant on Sanjay and Craig and like applied for a storyboard revisionist position on Sanjay and Craig and everyone knew me really well and knew that I was like hardworking and knew the show really well because I had worked on it for over a year. Right, that's awesome. Yeah, so I guess that was a pretty, well, you you clearly worked hard to get there. So that's, that's why it paid off. Um, now you mentioned beforehand, like, being a storyboard artist at Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network is a little different than a lot of the other studios because it's, um, you know, usually storyboarding is uh, based off of a script versus uh, where you're working, this, the story actually comes out and the script, I guess, comes out of the storyboard. So can you kind of explain the difference there and, and what that's and what sets that apart and whatnot? So there's there's kind of two kinds of shows. Um, there's storyboard driven shows and script driven shows. Um, and there's not a ton of storyboard driven shows. Most Cartoon Network shows are storyboard driven, but Cartoon Network has some script driven shows too. Right now, I think maybe all Nickelodeon shows are script driven now. Um, but there's, there's other places that approach it differently. Um, but but like so a script driven show is like the writers like workshop a script and have like a final script before it goes to the storyboard artist. Um, and they'll often like they'll often write the full script and make all the designs for the characters, the designs for the backgrounds and stuff. And then the storyboard artist will work from that. Um, whereas like on the types of shows that I've always worked on, Sanjay and Craig, Pinky Malinky and the, the new show that I'm working on right now we get an outline, which is usually like two or three pages. And it's, so it's the writers like write out an outline. There's little to no dialogue and it's kind of the three act structure. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of like an outline of an episode that I did for Pinky Malinky. It's like, uh, there's one where Pinky gets a hater. So it describes like, you know, Pinky is hanging out with his friends and he like makes a post on uh, on Instagram and then uh, he gets a thumbs down. So this is what the outline would say. It would literally be like describing the actions that happen, but there's very little dialogue. Um, and then as a board artist, you go in, you write the dialogue as you're boarding. 
Um, and it's interesting because even I've been talking to more board artists on script on storyboard driven shows lately. And like, I like to actually write out basically kind of a rough script before I start storyboarding. Um, but a lot of people draw first and then kind of based on the expressions or based on the shots, they'll write dialogue. Whereas like, I'll like do some writing and then drawing and rewriting and drawing and rewriting. Um, I love it. It's a lot of it is like how a lot of feature animation is done. It really gives you a lot of agency in terms of like you're thinking, you're you're directing and writing at the same time. So you're you can communicate a lot with shots that would be difficult to communicate in a script. And often it makes it it makes it so yeah, like it affects the storytelling and pacing in a really, I think, a really exciting way. Uh, you mentioned a, a few things. One was the three-act structure. Um, using that same episode with the hater, could you kind of just break it down? How that would be, you know? Yeah. So you can you can break it down a ton, but usually the three-act structure is um, your character's probably doing something normal and then like an inciting incident. So uh, so in this case, it was like. The characters are doing something normal. They're like taking pictures of each other, which is kind of something established in the show that they always do. Um, and then the the thing that's different about today is that they get a negative comment. And so then in the second act, you're like exploring that inciting incident. Um, so they're like in the second act of this episode, they're trying to contact this hater and like charm him and make him like them. And then the third act is the conclusion. It's kind of as simple as that, but then there's just like a ton of like terrible screenwriting books about like breaking down that structure even further that there's often like the first half of the second act is, <coughs> excuse me, um, the first half of the second act is often um, kind of they're, they're approaching the inciting incident and everything's going well. And then at the halfway point, things go poorly and you have like an all is lost moment. You can really see this like if you watch like Marvel movies and Pixar movies, they're like very hyper structured movies that like once you've learned this, you're like, like for me, it's like watching this like you want the character to win. And I'm like, oh, they haven't hit the all is lost moment yet. They've got they've got to lose everything, be totally destroyed. And that's when they finally, you know. Thor gets his hammer back and the lightning strikes and stuff. Right. And then the resolution can finally happen. So, you know, keeping in mind this structure, where do you where do you put all the like creative energy into? Like, is it the little moments that are in the second the second act, or is it sprinkled throughout? And yeah. So the structure, like part of it is, especially in episodic stuff, um, if it doesn't have that structure, I mean, just in the simplest sense, like I said, the structure is really like something new happens, you explore it and it's concluded. Like if you get far away from that, a show can be meandering, it can be boring basically. And there's some TV shows that break that structure really well. And I'm thinking of like sh shows like, like Louie, which I feel bad for referencing now because Louis C.K. sucks. Um, but that was like, you know, there's shorts, there's longer segments, but it doesn't have to have like a, a story arc in each episode. Um, 
And so in terms of like exploring it, uh, part of, I don't know, I really like accessible media. Like I'm saying, like what got me into this is like Pixar and like Nickelodeon and stuff. Um, so I like working within the structure that's already there um, and finding ways to do new plays on it. Um, it, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you have to reinvent the wheel each time you tell a story. Right. Gotcha. Um, so when you're, you know, when you're exploring all the different, uh, you know, acts and storyboards and stuff, how does the revision process go? Do you just kind of sit there until you come up with some good ideas and then pass it on? Or do you work with the director or something else? Yeah. So basically we have four to six weeks, depending on the show to work on a storyboard and it's broken up usually into three or four pitches. So we'll usually, like you get the outline and then you do your first pass. Your first pass usually has really bad drawings, really terrible jokes, often doesn't fully make sense. Some panels, depending on how fast your deadline is, some panels you won't even have time to draw it and you'll write in, the character jumps out a window but you're kind of just figuring out the pacing and, and how it all works. And then you pitch that to your showrunner um, and maybe some other, like, you, you're kind of pitching it to your immediate bosses. And then they'll give you notes. Um, so, like, thinking of shows you might have heard of, like, Steven Universe, you would pitch it to Rebecca Sugar. And then Rebecca Sugar, who's not personally storyboarding every episode, is going to give you notes. And since it's her show, she knows the characters better than anyone else. So she trusts all the board artists to do a pass. And then she's going to be like, this character wouldn't say a line like this. This shot is a great shot, but it doesn't fit the aesthetic style of our show. Do this. Or even just like, this isn't working. Like, you need to redo this. So you're just getting input from people who are usually more experienced and have a better grasp of the show itself from you. And so that's your first pitch. And then in the next pitch, you, you revise the board, you're taking the notes from all of your supervisors, you're taking your own kind of, you're processing those notes and taking your own viewpoint. Maybe there was a joke that you didn't think worked, but nobody said anything about, and so you rework it yourself. And so you pitch it again, probably in a week or two, and then you get even more notes, again, usually from the showrunner. Sometimes there's more people in the second meeting. Um, and then you'll often pitch it to network executives. And network executives are like, there's like the people that work on your show, which are like the creator of your show, like somebody who supervises all of the storyboards, maybe your head writer is giving notes. And then a network executive is somebody that like, uh, like works at the studio and they're gonna be more concerned with um, like standards and practices things, um, like kind of representing Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon as a whole. And so if there's uh, crass things or things that are dangerous for kids, they're going to give you more notes. Um, they're also uh, kind of bigger scope people. So if like they might give a note that a character in the last three episodes isn't coming off as likable enough and they really want the primary, the titular character of this series to be really likable. So 
you'll get those notes and then have to go back in the episode and revise it. So most of storyboarding is revising um, and collaborating and taking notes. Um, so that's kind of a weird, that's kind of a weird aspect of working professionally is that even if you're an incredible artist, if you're not good at collaborating and working with other people's input, you're gonna have a rough time. Yeah, is, is any of that intimidating? Like you you pitch it so many times to so many different people, like what's that like? Um, I think because I worked in production first, I saw so many artists go through so many pitches that it wasn't, it didn't feel like oppressive to me because it, it I, I saw how normal that was. Um, that I remember, I mean, I remember like learning about animation and entertainment in general and hearing about like how terrible notes are and being like, I just want to make my pure idea. Like, why would I want somebody else's input? Um, but it's really normal and fun. Usually I like getting notes for the most part. I, I mean, it's really awesome to show some, somebody something that you're working on. And then to have a crazy talented person who you've like looked up to for years and like watch shows that they've made be like, oh, that's great. Here's how you can make it better. You're like, hell yeah, of course I'll make it better. Um, and having somebody, yeah, just with tons of experience give you good notes is often a good experience. There's times when you <laughs> screw it up and they like chew you out and then you feel terrible about yourself. But... That, that's just part of the game. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like collaboration and revision are like huge skills to have. Is there anything else that yeah. like really makes you succeed in your role? You think? Um, just being funny. I know just that. Being funny. I was just talking with my friends about this. That there's like a lot of a lot of mistakes you can make and get away with if your 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 work is good. I, and that's like the most ambiguous, like what is good work? I don't know what is funny, but like, it's just true. So what are what are some of the mistakes or like what some of the biggest mistakes you've made or see other people making or? Um, it, it's just in terms of like storyboards, like you can see to like, usually there's probably five, five or six storyboard artists on a crew. And there might be one storyboard artist who's whose drawings are literally like worse than another storyboard artist, like just like are bad drawings. But if they're funny enough, people will look over it. Um, and that's not to say like, don't work on your drawing skills, work on your fucking drawing skills and then keep working on your drawing skills. Like if you want to work in animation and you're listening to this podcast, like work on your drawing skills more. I don't care how good you are, work on it more. So what does that mean specifically? Are you talking about like life drawing or just like cafe sketches or like what keeps you fresh? Just drawing more. Like I know that sounds dumb, but like life drawing is great. Drawing your own designs is great. Like drawing more storyboards is great. Just like the more pencil mileage you get, literally the better you will be. Um, yeah, be good. That's my like <laughs> terrible advice is be yeah. good. Be there, funny, what, be good at drawing. What specific things do you do to uh, to get there? Like you you were storyboarding, you know, practicing after hours on when you were an intern, but like Yeah. 
So I really like narrowed my focus down really hard in in like storytelling specifically that like I personally am not a great draftsman. I'm not great at figure drawing. Um, I should probably do a ton more figure drawing, um, especially like compared to a lot of my peers that went to art schools who were figure drawing like three or four days a week for four years. Um, so I like when I was practicing storyboarding, I was basically like, okay, I'm not, I'm just not even going to think about color or light for years. That's just like not something I'm, I'm even going to put any effort into. And I'm just going to focus on um, storytelling. So like pacing, joke timing, joke timing is so hard with drawing because it's not coming out of your mouth. You can't just like do ba ba da ba da, but like pacing it out over panels and having like a reveal happen naturally is super difficult. And so I just focused on that basically. And, tr and through like repetitive action of that, I got better at drawing also. I honestly, I took a bunch of improv classes. There's a really good comedy scene in LA. So I went to the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and took a bunch of classes there. And that helped me a ton in like thinking about comedy and thinking about like joke writing. Um, but that I'm very much the exception. There's like not a lot of people in animation that take like comedy classes, but that helped me a lot. So it sounds like you you kind of figured out what skills you wanted to work on and what you were lacking in you just strategically worked on them then. I mean, yeah. you didn't you didn't take the more traditional route of going to four-year animation school and doing all this stuff. You're like, this is what I want to do. Move to LA, you got your in through your uh, sister's roommate's cousin's friend. Yeah. <laughs> and then you worked after hours to get what you wanted. That's that's super awesome. Um, what is it actually like working at, you know, you've worked at Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, the two biggest children's tele animated television channels like you know it's a lot of people's dreams to work there can you just candidly speak about that it's great i mean you even just said like it's a lot of people's dreams and i'm sitting here I'm like wow that's so cool that i did that that's my dream <laughs> it's great people are just like it's super hardworking dorks it's like the the like just like really inspirational people in a really inspirational community that just makes you want to work harder um, it's also, you know, can be a struggle. It's still a day job, you know, it's still working on somebody else's art and not your own, but, um, I, you can just get a lot out of that. You can get a lot out of working on other people's things and finding ways to make it your own and feel happy. I personally like really like being a cog in the system and collaborating and stuff. But you also, so you said, you, you know, you're working on somebody else's art, but you're also kind of doing your own thing on the side on the Instagram. Is that, is yeah. that like an outlet for that? Uh, yeah. So the show that I last worked on, on Nickelodeon, Pinky Malinky, um, it went through like a whole weird thing where uh, it got like, it's, it's on Netflix now. And I, I don't know like how much I can talk about the production process, but most shows like animated shows are really slow. So they usually take about a year to come out. Um, and Pinky Malinky took 
uh, almost three years to come out, um, which just things happen and it was so slow. But basically for me as an artist, like I was really proud of the stuff that I was doing on that show, but it was so frustrating to not have anyone see it. And so frustrating. I like, I just got so tired of saying, I work on the show. You haven't heard of it. It's not out on TV yet. Saying that for years and years and years. And so I just started like putting more stuff on Instagram as an outlet. Um, and also part of that was in terms of my own like artistic progression. It was so, it was so difficult just to do my job every day for so long, just to be able to get everything done. And I like finally hit a point where I was a good enough artist that I could do my job and still have creative energy afterwards to create my own things. And so I just started like putting a ton of stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Also part of it was I was between jobs for a big chunk of it that like I wrapped up uh, working on Pinky Malinky and then kind of took a break uh, in between before going to Cartoon Network. And so I spent a ton of time investing in like literally unemployed and just like doing comics for Instagram and kind of treating that as my job for a while. Huh. So you didn't go back to dog walking, I guess, right? No. <laughs> um, yeah, well, why don't we talk a little bit about the job security thing? Because I know we kind of talked a little bit about this beforehand where, you know, you have a contract for a season and then you're waiting for it to get renewed or whatnot. So, you know, what's what's that experience like working on a show and then it it being finished and then like trying to figure out what to do next? Yeah, so we were talking about this before where you basically get a contract per season. So you only ever really get a contract one year at a time. And then often that contract will get extended when a season two gets picked up. But it's very rare that a show gets picked up for even three seasons. A lot of shows just make the first season. Um, and so it, it's stressful to look for work over and over again, but the animation community is small, especially if you do a good job and establish good contacts. People are used to people looking for work, so it's not it's not looked down on for you to to like text all of your friends and be like hey i'm looking for a job right now um or even like i've been working for a little while and just yesterday a friend messaged me and said hey are you looking for work i know they're hiring on this show right now because i had talked about looking for work months ago um so part of it is there's there's like a community around people people are kind of constantly shifting around and looking for work and then you'll have these dry periods. Like, like I said, I was unemployed for a while. Um, and it, it was fine, you know? Part of it is you try and save up money so you can, you can be unemployed for a little while. Um, I know some people, it's very feast or famine in and out. But for me, it's been relatively consistent with, with one chunk of time where I was unemployed that I kind of really enjoyed and made a bunch of comics for Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it sounds like you said collaboration is like a really big skill just yeah. in putting together a storyboard, but it sounds like that extends to your whole career and just the community itself. So, yeah. Um, so, I have another question kind of about how when you're doing the storyboarding itself, like you said, you'll go to the showrunner or the show creator and they'll give you feedback because they know the characters and whatnot. But 
how important is it to be connected with the audience you're creating a show for? Like with Pinky Malinky um, and the show you're creating now, were you actively like, would you say you were researching or connected with the the age demographic of that show? Or was it more or less like, I'm going to have fun, create my own jokes and whatever gets cut, gets cut. What gets improved, gets improved. Maybe this is dumb, but I think it is like straight up zero importance. Um, <laughs> That, like, one, animation is so slow that, like I said, like, we there was no interaction with the audience for Pinky Malinky. Like, we didn't know. Or there were characters on Sanjay and Craig that would get, like, like a big reaction. Um, like, a side character gets introduced and it gets a big reaction that all the fans like it. But the episode we worked on the episode a year ago and if we knew that the fans would like that character that much we would have brought them back but it's already been a year now and that that character is not going to appear for the people who just saw it for at least another year or two so it's really animation is just so slow it's hard to actually have that interactive um kind of communication with the audience i know Shows like Steven Universe, part of it is they have such a rabid audience. They have such a big fan base that they can kind of uh, communicate with them a little bit more on Tumblr. But in terms of a reaction, it's super slow. And the shows, I mean, talking about like making jokes for kids, um, the shows I've always worked on have always in the corporate sense been for the six to 12 year old demographic. And I don't think I know a single six to 12 year old. My nephew's two. I watched Pinky Malinky with him and he thought it was totally boring because he's two and like can't follow story at all. Um, I really like write jokes to make myself laugh and make my friends laugh, like make the storyboard artist that I'm working with laugh. Um, and then, you know, just try and make it not about sex drugs and violence like it's it's really is that simple um so, yeah, okay that's that's really interesting actually and like how do you gauge whether a show is going to be successful and if if your show has like multiple seasons and you know that one season is coming to an end and you're still working on another season are you like anxiously trying to do your best to make the show successful in that sense like with what you know I think you just, there is no way to tell if a show will be successful. Just like straight up. I really thought um, you could like, oh, this is good. This thing that we made is like good and it'll break out in this way. But you're just so close to it. And even like, probably like the worst show you've seen on TV has had really incredible people working on it, doing a really good job. And still there's something that didn't translate something that didn't come together and it ended up not being good. I feel like something that even like, like a storyboard that was really good in the second or third pitch, there's something, something doesn't translate in the timing in an animatic or like a voice actor kind of takes a different approach than what the board artist intended or, um, even just like the color, the mood of the color, like isn't reading in the same way that the black and white drawings were reading. And that's not even that the voice actor made a mistake or a color artist made a mistake or a board artist made a mistake. It's just that like 
the I think the natural state of art is terrible. And so everybody doing their best job are working to make it unterrible. But when it all comes together, it can often just be terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Like, I think the idea of knowing that a show will be a hit or will work, it's it's all just magic and luck that, like, you can do a really good job and guess what? Your show still sucks. And you can do a really good job and, and like, your show's awesome and nobody sees it, you know? Um, right. So, I to me, it's all just, like, do your best work and hope. <laughs> I don't know. So, so, still on that topic, I mean, on your Instagram, you have, like, almost 21,000 followers now and like you've you're clearly a hit with what you post and so but are you I was gonna ask are you taking that same approach you're just like it's magic I just do what no, I want it's really or... magic. It, actually Instagram is more proof that it's magic because the posts that I'm like oh they're gonna eat this up this is great are the ones that like go nowhere the posts where I'm like oh, I just got to get something out this week. I don't know. I'm sorry. Are the ones that like people share a ton? Like it's, I don't know. It like, I just try and create as much good things as possible. And some things will resonate with people and some things won't. Um, I, I don't know. The more art I create, the more I feel like this, that it's like, it's magic. And hopefully you just produce enough good things that they'll, click right at the right time but especially with instagram like scrolling through the the like just the likes as a metric which is a terrible metric for whether something is good or not like they're insane and like you can do that you can go on instagram and just be like what the hell is this like why did this get so many likes and then this other thing didn't it's so weird man <laughs> Couldn't you say that, you know, your experience in comedic timing and storyboarding and stuff contributed to uh, some of that, though? Oh, I, I definitely think there's, like, an objective as a whole. Like, I, I like, in terms of my own Instagram, like, I got good at storytelling and comedic timing. And so, like, as a whole, like, by producing good work consistently, like, I've been able to build up a bit of a following, but um, in terms of any individual uh, post, uh, I don't know. <laughs> right. you know? So, so I, I also want to ask you about that, too, because I've, I've heard uh, people with a lot of followings on Instagram as well kind of have competing opinions. Some people say, like, you know, the people who have 20,000 followers that I know, they're like uh, an entry level person at our studio. Mm -hmm. And some people who have like, amazing work have no followers and so what kind of impact do you think social media has had on your career or reflection of your career it's had really i mean does it do you do you think it's gotten you more connections i mean we're talking which is yeah that i guess but uh like direct impact on your career or your professional skill set or anything like that like yeah i mean it's had direct impact on my career i think i largely have the job that I have now because of my Instagram, even though I had already been working and had established contacts. Um, the people that found me for this show, like saw my Instagram and I got to, got a meeting from that. And then they like passed my work along. And then like, I didn't have to test for the show that I'm working on now because they said like, oh, we saw your Instagram. You, you can tell a joke and tell a story. 
we don't need you to. So they they like cold reached out to you from Instagram. Like you didn't have a contact with them before. Um, I had been in contact with Cartoon Network. Like there's just animation is small and you work around and like like because there's these year long contracts like uh even if you work at one studio so i worked at nickelodeon for six years and even working at nickelodeon by the end of that six years i had worked with people that worked at disney and cartoon network and bento box and all these different places just because people move around so much um so i had contact with people at cartoon network but it it was like somebody in development at Cartoon Network whose kind of job is to like look for new artists. They found me on Instagram and like we had lunch and like talked about pitching a show and stuff. Um, and that I, I said that I was like looking for work. And so they passed my Instagram to a showrunner who was starting a, a show and looking for a staff. Um, so my, my Instagram personally helped me a lot. Uh, I do think Instagram like can be a ton of leverage and can kind of give you that good clout, but I don't think it's necessary. I know a ton of successful, great artists with little or no Instagram following. Um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with, with an Instagram following. It, it will help you if you have it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, well, I think we're, we're just wrapping up about now unless uh, anything else comes up, but Kind of overall, you know, what's what's we talked about a lot of skill sets you need to have and stuff. What would be your biggest advice for somebody who wants to practice storyboarding, especially because like thinking about how you did it late at nights and you saw storyboards every single day. How can somebody go from existing to becoming a storyboard artist? Like what are the steps that you'd recommend in between? Yeah, I know. I mean, I feel like advice like this is always kind of trite and boring but like give us the boring trite stuff <laughs> i feel like figure out the thing that you're good at and maybe like have always been good at that it's crazy my mom works in developmental psychology so so she like talks about like we're we're like hanging out with my nephew who's two and she's like oh look how he like like bobs to the music you never did that and i like don't get music i'm terrible with music and she's like but even when you were two, you were you would like cry when you didn't get your story at night. That like since I was two, I was into storytelling. And it's not as simple as like, oh, like you're a two-year-old, you should be a storyboard artist. But there was something there that I was always excited about. And it's interesting that like as an adult and and as a growing artist, like finding like, okay, I'm not the best draftsman. Like I see all these incredible artists around me who are incredible draftsmen. But I love storytelling and I love like comedic pacing and timing that, like I said, like I had this background in improv and stuff. And so like just fucking keying in on that thing and becoming the best person at the thing that I do. And so if you're interested in storyboarding, thinking about like what pulls you into storyboarding um, and like, are you interested in storyboarding? Uh, because you like drawing like you might actually be a better designer you know are you interested in storyboarding because you like action then like just draw action stuff like don't even like bother frankly like bother learning to be funny but if you like doing action that is funny like learn those things you know so this is kind of 
general trite frou-frou advice, but like figure out your thing and just go hard on it. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of stuff I like to hear. So I don't think that's trite at all. <laughs> um, okay. One, one last question here. What can you share about the new show? I know it's super secretive and you hate being like, I'm working on a new show. You'll see it when it comes <laughs> yeah. out in like five years, but like, can you share anything at all on it right now? Um, like, I really don't know. I probably would have just like talked a bunch about it, but I just talked to uh, somebody on my production staff that was like, oh, you're not supposed to tell anyone about this show yet. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> that's what we were talking about before that I was trying to, I was trying to call you on Skype and I was going to use just the production Skype account because I couldn't get into my Skype account. But the production Skype is the name of the show and I would have like leaked the name of the show. Well, I'm prepared to leak everything. So, um, I mean, I can tell you that I'm working. Um, I'm working with some people that I worked on Pinky Malinky with. I'm working with some people that worked on Uncle Grandpa and Over the Garden Wall. Uh, I'm working. My board artist worked on Shira. Um, so it's a lot of great people that have worked on shows that hopefully you've like heard of and love already. Um, the show is is very um, it's storyboard driven, which uh, and it's very like irreverent and goofy. Um, it's definitely uh, kind of what what is like a good analogy? I don't know. It's it's very like post post SpongeBob, post Uncle Grandpa, but a little more heart. <laughs> All right, I have no idea what that means, but okay. <laughs> we'll find out, I guess, some sometime. <laughs> um, okay, well, I think I think that's all. Unless you have anything, oh. any last-minute stories or advice or anything you want to share, but uh, oh. yeah, thanks. Oh, wait, I am gonna give a little more practical advice. I feel like I gave the trite, like, do you and do you really hard. But in terms of like practical advice if you want to learn storyboarding so really like literally what I did so what we do in animation if you're applying for a job is you take a test which is usually like a simulation of what the workload would be um, of just a few days and then you can show one that you're capable of doing the work but two that you're like matching the tone and style of the show so like a storyboard test would be on an outline driven show they'll give you a portion of an of an outline and then you'll storyboard that or a script driven show they'll give you a page of the script or something and you'll you'll storyboard that or if you're a designer they'll give you uh, a couple sample designs from the show as is established and then they'll be like um, design a firefighter that fits in this world and so you'll do a drawing they maybe give you some character traits he's uh, like really rude and like always angry so how, how are you going to draw that into a character and match the style of the show? Um, so in terms of practical advice, um, for me, what I would do to practice storyboarding is because I was a PA, I would just take the outlines from the show and, uh, and board a section of that. And so part of my advice for people who want to practice storyboarding is a lot of the times in, in your classes, you'll be asked to create a world, create characters, create designs, create a story, create a scenario. And all of that work is stuff that largely like storyboard artists don't do that is split up between other people. And so the more that, 
the way to make yourself learn to storyboard more is to take out a lot of that intensive, difficult thinking. So you can either like take, um, maybe take a half a paragraph of a book you're reading, like take sections of something that is already established and then you can maybe write dialogue. You can maybe um, take a script of something of uh, like find a script of a movie you haven't seen before and start storyboarding that. Um, maybe uh, like find an outline of a show. That's easier said than done. I had a lot of privilege in that I was working in animation when I was learning to storyboard. So I was taking an outline of a show I worked on, but finding ways where you don't have to design characters, even if you're doing a story that would never be on SpongeBob, you can use the SpongeBob character designs just so you can practice storyboarding, which is, you know, shots, composition, uh, writing, and storytelling in general. Um, so using designs that are already made actually allows you to, to just create more storyboards rather than spinning your wheels and trying to think of a whole design. I'm a terrible designer. I'm like really bad at designing. So I really enjoy having an incredible artist create character designs that I can just, I love drawing acting. I love drawing composition and shots and stuff, um, but I don't like creating characters from scratch. So it's awesome to have a way better artist do that for me. Yeah, awesome. Well, that is pretty practical. So you're saying kind of, uh, become a very specialist instead of a kind of a generalist type of yeah. type of thing. a lot of a lot of school for animation they like make you create a short film or something and make you do every single part of the process which I think is really good in terms of learning in general and making yourself a better artist but in terms of working in the animation industry they don't care at all like for me they don't care it if I was colorblind I could do my job like they don't care anything about how I do color they don't care a ton about how my designs are um they care about my writing and my storyboarding and it's like you have to be such a specialist because because the way the work divide is divided it's so compartmentalized so you need to be a specialist at that one thing um and similarly like when I talk to young artists and they say things like oh, I want to be a character designer or a board artist or maybe a background painter. When you say those three things to me, it means you have no clue what you want to do. But when you say, I want to be a board artist, that's like what motivates me. Even if you're lying to me, I can give you better practical advice for being a board artist instead of being like, I don't know, that's a lot of things you want to do. So like focusing on that one thing and becoming an expert at that one thing, I think is maybe not the best thing for, I do think it's the best thing for your artistic development, but it is definitely the best thing for your professional development. Be good at one thing and like be awesome at it. So when applying for like a storyboard artist role or like character designer, like don't, don't put your short film first, like put your boards first and put that as like a afterthought, like, by the way, here's my other stuff type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, right. if, if your short film's crazy good, like, then show it. But um, I think I, I've never hired someone, so I'm talking out of my ass a little bit here. But like, seeing a short film where the boarding is okay and the color is okay and the characters are okay is 
means nothing. Whereas like seeing a short film where the character designs are really good and I have the audio turned off because I'm watching it at work in like a small YouTube window that you sent me, but the designs are really good, I'll think about more, you know? Makes sense, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, all of what you said is really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all that. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast here, Dodge. Yeah, of course. Good luck in your journey to you and all Thank your you. listeners. Thank you, yeah, and, and to you as well. It's, I mean, I really enjoyed hearing your story of how you got to where you're going and what you're working on next. Yeah, I'm going to so, keep kicking ass. You're going to hear my name more. Perfect. <laughs> Um, now, just before we leave, I want to share how you can get in touch with Dodge if you have any questions or want to follow his work. And that's simply by going to his Instagram, which is Instagram.com slash Dodge Greenly. And I'll share the link in the description. And that's all for now. Okay, bye.